Nice to see you. I'm going to um, ask you to do something a little bit different. And um, if you are able, I'd like everyone to close their Bibles. Ha! Huh, after Rosie's just said that. And I'd like you to stand up, please. And I'm going to read God's word to us today. This is from Luke 4, 42 to uh, 5, verse 11, as we continue our series in Luke. At daybreak, Jesus went to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, no, no, I must proclaim the kingdom of God to other towns as well, because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him, and they were all listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by two fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter, and he asked him just to put out a little bit from the shore. And he sat down in the boat and taught people from it. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, put put out deeper into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught a single fish, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish, their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners, their fishing partners, James and John in the other boat, come and help us. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they both began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and he said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. Well, this is God's word to us. Why don't you um, take a seat? Um, and if you could actually at this point to open your Bibles and turn to page 1032, um, that would be, be really great. Now, you're probably thinking, you know, what's, what's going on? Uh, we don't normally uh, do uh, that. We don't normally do the reading like that. Well, I just wanted to do something a little bit different um, to set up this question. What is your expectation of those words that you just heard? What is your expectation of those words that you just heard? What do you expect them to do? Funny question, right? What is your expectation of this or indeed any Bible passage? Well, I think you'd be forgiven for thinking that this passage is all about fish, right? (laughs) But actually it's not. It's all about what happens when the word of God is preached or proclaimed. And we we see this even more clear, and you will will see this more clear if you've been around with us through Luke so far, because um, over in chapter 4, on the page before, in in, in verse 4, 18 to 19, Jesus announced what his mission statement was, and it was this. It was to proclaim good news to the poor. It was to proclaim freedom for the spiritually enslaved, to proclaim sight for the spiritually blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's um, favour. Jesus could not be any clearer. He came to 
to proclaim the word of God, the word of salvation, and then to achieve it by dying um, on the cross for us. So it's quite funny, actually, if you've been with us last week, because just after Jesus has said, I've come to proclaim God's salvation, what happens? Well, last week, if I could say this reverently, he gets a bit distracted. Distracted from his mission, not because of some lapse in concentration, but because of his great compassion. Last week we saw, didn't we, Rich um, t- uh, preached last week, we saw him drive out a demon and we saw him heal Simon Peter's uh, mother-in-law from a fever. So Jesus is like, guys, I'm here to preach salvation. And then his compassion leads him to do two things which are not preaching. And of course, Jesus' compassion is absolutely key to his identity, but in a way, it caused him a bit of an issue. It caught, this mission of proclamation, it caused him a bit of an issue. And this is because his compassionate healings and his exorcisms and his miracles gather such huge crowds that by chapter 442, do you see, Jesus has to withdraw from the crowds to be on his own because he hasn't come to be some kind of local celebrity magician. At the end of 442, we can, we can sympathize with the crowds who are loving the miracles. And they, they want Jesus to stay with them. They're like, don't go, Jesus. But 442, Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news um, of, of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Jesus knows the reason why he was sent, and above all else, It was to proclaim God's word, announcing the good news of the kingdom. And you're thinking, Matt, why why are you laboring this point so much? Like, when when do we get to the fish? (laughs) That's what it's all about, right? Well, Jesus' priority of preaching is key to our understanding of this passage, the miraculous catch. Because straight after Jesus reminds the crowd, no, no, I'm here to preach... Jesus is preaching across the synagogues. Look, or, or, or even more, verse, verse 1 of our passage today on 1032, chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him, and what are they doing? They're listening to the word of God. So here we go then. Jesus' rescue mission has begun. Finally, Jesus is preaching. He's doing what he said he's come to do. And the question to ask ourselves is, will Jesus' words do what he said they would back in 4.18? Will they set captives free? Will they open the eyes of the blind? Will they bring salvation to people? Will the word of God work? And you know, I think that's a question for each one of us as we place ourselves under Jesus' authority this morning. What is your expectation of this passage? What do you expect Jesus to do? And with that question kind of ringing in our mind, I think now we're in a position to hear Luke's answer to that question. So why don't we just dive into the passage? You've got to picture the scene. You don't have to work very hard because Luke tells it to us. Verse 1, it's morning time. The sun is low in the blue Palestinian sky. Jesus has come down for a morning stroll on the beach, uh, down to those lapping shores of Lake Gennesaret, otherwise known as the Sea of Galilee. The the morning rays, you've seen them, haven't you? When when it just kind of clips the top of of the lake. There There aren't any waves, but kind of the gentle wash is rolling over the sandy shore. 
And Jesus hadn't been there for very long before word got out that he's there and a crowd start forming around him. And Jesus does what he's come to do. He starts teaching the word of God. And while Jesus is preaching, two boats chart a course towards the shore, just a few lengths away from Jesus. And in one of those boats is a dejected figure, Simon Peter. And in the other, his fishing partners, James and John. They're absolutely shattered. They've been up all night fishing and they've not caught a single fish. And they start to feel that anxiety of financial pressure with nothing to sell in the market that day. Simon's mother-in-law, we found out last week, was healed a few weeks ago. But if he couldn't bring home any money to the family, it wouldn't be long until they'd all be facing a pretty uncertain future. Verse 2, Jesus looks over at these three men on the beach who are now at this point washing their nets. They're not listening to Jesus' preaching like the crowds because they're lost in their thoughts. Have you ever felt like that walking to church? You're here, but actually you're not here. You're elsewhere. Perhaps this is where you are right now while some babbler's standing at the front preaching. I don't know. You're, you're lost in your mind. You're drowning in thoughts, anxieties, fears, grief, tired from poor sleep, no sleep. I don't look at the McBain's. You can hear the teaching coming into your ears, but you're kind of not here. You're standing off from a distance. You're not really listening. That's Simon Peter. That's where he's at now. Verse 3, Jesus stops teaching and he approaches Peter. He asks if he could use his boat, most likely to preach, to proclaim, to project his voice a bit more clearly. And he does so, he pushes out from the shore and he resumes his teaching. You, you see, Jesus has moved closer to Peter. He's, he, he, he's approached him, almost kind of homing in on this man who's not really listening. And, and while thinking about what he's going to tell his family when he gets home with no money, Peter is now within earshot of Jesus. He can't ignore Jesus' teaching while he's washing his net. And eventually, verse 4, Jesus finishes preaching, and what was before a gentle approach, a quiet question, you know, can I use your boat, now becomes far more direct. Jesus walks up to Simon Peter, and this time he doesn't ask anything. He simply tells or commands Simon Peter what he wants him to do. Verse 4, put out into deep water, Simon, Jesus says and let down the nets for a catch. Peter looks at his master, and do you know what? He doesn't know whether to laugh or cry. He wants to be respectful. And you know, if Jesus was teaching him a little bit of woodwork, he would be, you know, minded not to trust his own intuition. But fishing, and after a whole night of not catching a single fish, Peter sighs a little bit, and verse 5 says... Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll I'll let down the net. Peter's grumpy. He's grumpy. But he's not hostile to Jesus, is he? He's hardly hanging on Jesus' word, still trusting his own intuitions about the world, but he's respectful enough to listen. And no doubt many of us this morning are, to to use a pun, kind of in the same boat. Um, You you know, but we, we, we respect Jesus. We profess faith in him. 
But when his words are something that confuses us or that we don't like or which rubs against what our culture or subculture says, well, we won't all out disagree or disobey, but like Simon Peter, we begrudgingly drag our feet, we begrudgingly roll our eyes. Nevertheless, Peter hauls the now clean net back into the boat while Jesus stands ankle deep in the wash. And he, he puts a little bit out from, from shore. And Jesus now kind of growing a little bit smaller as Peter goes deeper and deeper as Jesus fixes his gaze on his fisherman friend. Peter takes a seat in that, I don't know, what do you call it? The bit in the boat with the wood across the back. He takes a seat readying himself for who knows how long of just sitting there catching nothing. And for a moment, all was calm over the Sea of Galilee. The birds are hovering above. The sun was now getting hot. And the sea was still. Suddenly, the, the, the sea next to Peter's boat just starts to twitch slightly. <laughs> and then the twitching kind of becomes kind of all out shaking. And the calm, glassy sea top just becomes this flurry of white water wash. And no sooner does Peter realize what's happening before he's hauled off his seat as his boat nearly capsizes under the net's pull, nearly pulling him into the, fish, the fishy swarm below. And in disbelief, he begins hauling this net in, realizing he is completely powerless to do so. And so he calls James and John, come and help. And after minutes of three grown men wrestling a net in, using all their strength, they just about managed to get these two nets onto two 12-meter-long fishing boats, filling those boats up to the brim with writhing fish. Friends, what do we see here about Jesus Christ? He's standing on the beach preaching the word of God. And before long, his word gathers two boats full of otherwise elusive fish. Peter had no power over those fish, despite his expertise, but they answered to Jesus' word in a second. Do you see? Jesus' words are the word of the powerful creator God. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that Jesus is sustaining all things by his powerful word. So when Jesus speaks, things happen. But it's not only that. Jesus was communicating something very specific to Peter and to us. Because remember, he's been up front that his mission is to preach the word of God, to gather people into his kingdom. Well, what has he just done with the fish? He's just illustrated this perfectly. At the word of Jesus Christ, obstinate, belligerent, and elusive fish were caught and drawn in. And not only that, there were so many fish that the nets were breaking. Brothers and sisters, Christ is demonstrating to Peter that what he has, what he has been up to, what he has been doing through the preaching of his almighty word ever since this time. Through it, he is drawn in, half-hearted, elusive, sinful people like you and me, not really interested in what he says. And he's drawn in so many that God's kingdom is full with billions and billions of people across history and around the world. And it all began here with perhaps the first half-hearted, elusive sinner, Simon Peter. Once an eye-rolling cynic who kept his distance from Jesus' words, he now gets out of his boat 
leaving the fish behind him. The message is clear. It's not about the fish. He moves away from the fish and begins wading towards Jesus, kind of waist deep in the sea, hands shaking, lips quivering. And he stops no further than a foot away from his master and he drops to his knees and he begins to weep tears and he whispers the words, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now that might seem a strange thing to say, but across the Old Testament from from Moses to Isaiah, when someone becomes aware that they are standing in the presence of God, you see something very similar. The words of Isaiah, I am ruined. Please be gone, Lord, for I am too sinful to stand here in your presence. In the case of Isaiah, God atoned for his sin by using the picture of cleansing coals. Jesus does something very similar. Verse 10, Jesus lifts Peter's head and looks deeply into his eyes. Imagine that. Deeply into the eyes of Christ, the creator God. And he says the four words that he says more commonly than any other words across scripture. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Besides the fact that Jesus affirms Peter's description of him as Lord, that is God, creator God himself. But what is Jesus saying here? Is he saying, don't worry about your sin, Peter. Don't worry about your half-heartedness, your refusal to let me speak into your life, water under a bridge, no worries, we move on. Well, no, he's saying, don't be afraid because I am going to the cross to pay for each and every sin you've ever committed and will ever commit. And Peter, there's going to be loads. We're going to be get them documented in, in Scripture, your sins, Peter. But don't be afraid. Your sin is forgiven. But that's not the end of the story for Peter, is it? Verse 10, Jesus says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Jesus uses what Peter knows, namely catching fish, right? He understands that in order to explain his new life now in service of his Lord's mission. He's now going to catch people for Jesus' kingdom. Far from that distant and downcast observer, Peter's life is transformed. And along with James and John, verse 11, they pull their boats up on the shore, they leave everything, and they follow their master at his powerful word. Well, what's your expectation when God's word is preached? What do you... What do you expect it to do? Does it give you a nice take on life? Maybe some advice, one, one voice among many? Well, no, Isaiah 55, famous verse says, such is my word that goes out from, from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve for the purpose for which I sent it. And Luke 5 shows what God desires to achieve in his people. And like Peter, at God's word, we should expect to be humbled. We should expect to be comforted and we should expect to be transformed. So as we close, we're just going to take each one of those in turn. So firstly, we should expect God's word to humble us. Perhaps you can relate to to Peter. Perhaps you've seen something of Jesus' glory as we've gone through Luke's gospel, but you're, you're pretty distracted, you're anxious, you're still 
unconvinced by his claims, by what you hear preached from God's word week on week, or perhaps you're, you're just not really listening, you're elsewhere. Well, if that is the case, let me invite you just to see the Lord Jesus making his gentle yet commanding approach to you this morning, as he did with Peter, reaching out to you with his powerful words. Like Peter, that should humble us, shouldn't it? He is the creator God upholding every atom in the chair you're sat on, every dust particle in the air, and indeed every fish in the sea. He's upholding every day in your life, every breath in your lungs, Let's humble ourselves when we see our slowness and our sin as Peter did, falling at his feet in worship. We should be humble, shouldn't we? Or maybe you're not doubting who Jesus is. You're just feeling despondent, demotivated, driven into the ground under the pressures and pains of this life, a bit like Peter was. Well, friends, when that's how... I feel, and those who know me well know it's often how I feel, it's all the more difficult, isn't it, to open God's word each morning, all the more difficult to listen and tune in to to God's word on a Sunday. It feels easier to, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I think it feels easier to look elsewhere for that truth that we crave. Our emotions, the endless blog posts online, the office self-help culture, all of which is not necessarily a bad thing, But they pale in comparison to the powerful word of Christ before which we must fall to our knees and hang on his every word. And and please don't hear me wrong. (laughs) I'm talking about here the whole whole Bible, not just Jesus' direct speech. It's it's become the norm, sadly, for Bibles to be printed with those red letters. Maybe your Bible has, has red letters. Don't worry, I'm not getting in your grill. I'm just saying that's become the norm. But in a few chapters' time, Luke 10, Jesus says to his apostles, who were going to write the rest of the Bible, he says, whoever listens to you listens to me. Okay, so you see the whole Bible is the word of Christ, not just those little bits in, in red letters, if you've got that. And the word of Christ humbles us, right? And so I just, I just wonder, particularly tying into some of the stuff that Rosie was saying to the kids, I just wonder what priority opening the Bible plays in your life. You know, in the morning or listening closely on a Sunday or a Wednesday, perhaps you don't know how to do that. Perhaps you don't know where to begin. And, and we're grateful for, for Rosie because she's actually put aside a year of her time to, to study on our, um, on our Ministry Learning Academy to help us as a church grow in personal Bible reading and to do it in a one-to-one kind of setting. So please do kind of touch base with her and ask how she's, how she's uh, going with that. Because, because his word is God's prim- primary way of humbling us before him and showing us, like Peter, that we need a saviour, that we need Jesus. That's his primary way of doing it. And that brings us to our second expectation of God's word, um, that we should expect to be comforted. We should expect to be comforted. Perhaps even mention of personal Bible study produces those feelings of guilt. You know, like, oh, I haven't done that for a long time. Or feeling like we don't stack up. We look around and think, I bet everyone else is doing that and I'm not doing that. Or, you know. Friends, what does Jesus say to those aware of their unworthiness, to those who are aware they don't listen to Jesus' word, of those who are lamenting their sin? Do not be afraid. Hear those words to you this morning. Do not be afraid. Soon, in a couple of weeks, we're going to see him say something similar. Son, your sins are forgiven. Be comforted under Jesus' mighty 
word. Fear not, children. Your sins are forgiven. Comfort. Isn't that a message that we, I, need to hear daily, weekly, for the rest of my life? Do not be afraid. I have you. Lift your head. Be comforted. And, and Jesus' words to us are not some pleasantries, like, you know, you saw King Charles this week, you know, oh dear, oh dear, and, you know. They're not just like little sentence fillers moving on the conversation in a slightly awkward way. We've seen, haven't we, that Jesus' words holds authority to cast out demons, to heal the sick, and to gather fish. How much more is the creator God able to say to you this morning, your sins are forgiven, and for that to truly be the case? So that's the second point. And finally, our expectation of God's word is that we should be expected to be transformed. We should expect to be transformed. Do you remember how Jesus transformed Peter's life? Did you, did you remember the way that Jesus transformed Peter's life? He took the word of God. He was preaching. This is so what God does, isn't it? He, he took the word of God that he was preaching and he applied it to Peter's life and experience in a personalized way that Peter would understand. If he said to me, hey, Johnny, you're going to become fishers and men, I was like, I don't know how to catch a fish, let alone a person. But Peter knew. From now on, he said, you, my fisherman friend, will fish for, for people. Okay, I understand that. You see, God always connects his words to the very circumstances of our lives, of our individual lives, of the way he's made us and the, what we've experienced. And so today, the message from God's word is the same for all of us here. And yet the Holy Spirit will be applying it according to where each of our hearts are at to transform us in the way that God has chosen in the particular way for us at this chosen period of time. Perhaps, I don't know, perhaps you're struggling with anger and God connects the truth about how his right anger has been taken away from youth so that through Jesus' death, you're able to be patient. You know, that maybe in your personal Bible study, that's just what God puts on your heart. Perhaps you've been wrestling with what to do in a given situation. You have many voices speaking to you with their own thoughts and opinions. And yet, maybe even today, you see Christ's power and love. And that brings calm to your heart, knowing that you need look no further than the almighty power of Christ. I, I, I don't know. Maybe you're feeling depressed and anxious and in need of comfort. And you find God comforting you through his word so that you would be comfort to others. See, that's what God does. God transforms us into his servants to serve his kingdom by connecting his words to our real lives. This week, as I've been mulling over this passage, some of you know I've also been dealing with a really stressful house move. And, you know, as I've been reading kind of, you know, um, Peter's inability to, to get a fish. You know, I've just been thinking, you know, I can do nothing to make Nationwide approve this mortgage. I can, I, I can do nothing to get a buyer of my house. And the Holy Spirit has just been connecting God's word to my particular circumstance that no doubt doesn't affect any of you apart from maybe one. If Jesus is in control over fish, he's in control over which desk that mortgage application lands on. So what circumstances has God brought into your life at the moment? And what does Jesus' word speak into that? Let the Holy Spirit do that. I can't do that work. He will. Are you listening to him? Because when we are, God is transforming us as he has promised to do. And of course, please don't hear me wrong. This doesn't mean that we can just pluck a passage. Oh, let's just 
pluck a passage out of nowhere on a given day and expect God to speak directly into that exact situation. No, no. What it looks like is that over time, with the priority of setting aside time to read portions of the Bible, perhaps of being intentional about how we listen to sermons on a Sunday or in Bible studies, what we find is that we grow an ability to process all of our lives and experiences through the lens of God's powerful word. That's how it works. And this not only humbles and comforts us, but it is God's primary means of transforming us, like Peter, from inside out, from humbling to comforting to all-out transformation of sacrificial disciples who, like Peter, James, and John, hang on every word of this powerful creator God and so leave everything that would hinder their service of God's kingdom into a new life. This is what we should expect God's word to do to us week by day by day, week by week, month by month for the rest of our lives. It's a gradual process, isn't it? But perhaps as we close, it's helpful even now just to think what the Holy Spirit has put his finger on in your life. That thing that when you're hearing these words, when you're hearing God's word preached, you're like, ah, this is happening. That could be different for every one of us. Perhaps you feel more of a humbling, perhaps a greater comfort. Perhaps you just see opportunity in that particular area of your life for transformation in his strength. Well, praise God. In the words of, of Romans 10, 17, essentially this sums up our whole passage this morning. Faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. Should we thank him this morning for being active in our hearts as we've heard him speak to us in this passage? Should we pray? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much that you have not left us without word from heaven. We thank you so much for your powerful word that is, that was back in first century Palestine and is in 21st century Birmingham and around the world, transforming hearts by gathering people into your kingdom, by humbling us because of our sin, by comforting us because of your great salvation through the cross of Christ and by transforming us into disciples ready to leave everything, hang on your words and serve your kingdom into which we've been brought. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit as you have done already, to convict and comfort and show us the ways in which we can apply this to our individual lives and lives corporately as a church and gospel families and together to even, even today as a whole. We thank you that you're at work. We thank you that you're real. And we thank you for sending our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Should we stand and sing a response?